Welcome to Talking in Stations, recorded live on Twitch, Saturdays, 1500 Universal Time. I'm your host, Matterall. The makers of EVE are focusing on player versus environment with the Lifeblood expansion due out October 24th. Part of their direction features the Agency, which we'll talk about today. Along with that, news from around EVE and other developments. All right, if you would like to support the show, please think about giving subscribes, bits, or tips during the show. And if you listen to the live podcast, you can contribute through Patreon slash Matterall. On behalf of the team, thank you very much for all your support. All right, uh, let's get into introductions right away. And we'll start at the top with uh, Apothne, of course, starts with A. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, Caleb? Hey guys. Seamus from Eve University. Hello. And Tiberius from my corporation, Destructive Influence. Good afternoon. And our guest today, a CSM member Yukiko Kami from Brave. Hello, everyone. Okay, so after a few player-driven shows, we've actually uh, decided to turn back to EVE development and talk about uh, the direction of the game, where it's going, how you can get involved with it. Uh, and so we're talking about the agency today, which, uh, when did the agency actually start? Um, well, I think the very first iteration we saw of it was, um, like, before it was called the agency, was the, the Shadow of the Serpent event, uh, where the very basic framework of here is your thing on your screen when you log in, and here's the thing in your uh, top left hand of the screen, which tells you, here's the task you've got to do today, and here's your progress towards rewards. Um, I scope into it as well, haven't they? Yeah, the scope was, um, I think the scope was the first iteration, if I remember rightly. My memory is kind of failing me at the moment. Um, and then oh, it really? became the agency. Yeah, so it was originally the scope, and then it became the agency. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that at all. Uh, is it tied, in, tied into opportunities at all, or is that um, a I totally separate I think opportunities thing? is a separate system. Yeah, it is. Totally mm. separate. But as I, I understand mean, it, opportunities, again, was part of the development process in, uh, into what we see now as the agency. Uh, because it was, I think, certainly in the early days, I think it was CCP doing a lot of testing to see whether people would like be open to the idea of having some sort of daily, daily task to do. It smells of uh, the same mechanics, really. Like it's yep. the next iteration of it, right? Let's assume for a second that some people don't know what the scope is, what the agency is, uh, what opportunities are. Seamus, can you walk us through what those are? Uh, sure. I was actually just starting up my client just to double check my notes. But uh, so the opportunity <laughs> system uh, is a guide that CCP implemented about a year or two ago. Uh, basically, it's kind of sort of like an achievement system from uh, from other games, but it's mostly geared towards introducing new players to the different activities that can take place. So if you're actually logged into your EVE Online client right now, which I will be in about a few seconds. I'll let you log in. But in, in just to bring it back a little bit, it is was a way for them to kind of give people a little bit of training on what you're supposed to do yep, in EVE. Exactly. So it's at the top of the Neocom bar uh, from the EVE menu. I go all the way to the bottom of the EVE menu. Uh, the third and fourth options from the bottom are respectively the agency and opportunities map. And this stuff pops up automatically, doesn't it? 
It does, yes. yes. But if you want to actually consult uh, the full list of opportunities, you can pull it up from the opportunities map. Uh, and additionally, the opportunities map, if you're actually looking at that window, there's a gear icon in the upper right. So if you want, you could suppress notifications, suppress aura dialogues. But all the opportunities that you can do are all right there. And as you can see from this, it's all mostly geared towards new players. Welcome to Eden. Take a look around. Career agents, your first mission, uh, corporate identity, uh, loot the spoils, so on and so forth. All right, so that's mostly uh, just pop-ups, uh, the map of the pop-up stuff that introduces new players to the various game mechanics of EVE Online. Yeah, it ties into the new player experience. So part of this yep. you get done while doing the new player experience. Exactly. It extends your mechanical skills. Ooh. Yeah, Any, anybody who's started playing EVE Online in the past year or two, uh, I forget exactly when CCP rolled out the opportunities map, but anybody who's started playing in the past year or two will have seen this already. Uh, as for the agency, uh, again, you can pull that up from the Neocom menu. And the agency is just a set of uh, events of timed duration, usually every couple of weeks. Uh, if you perform the tasks uh, that the... I don't know what agency this actually is. I haven't actually dug that deep into it. But if you actually perform the tasks uh, requested uh, for these events, then you'll get uh reward points towards various kinds of rewards the current agency event ends in a little under 10 days it's called war zone Extra extraction um and the ones that's telling me the task that it's telling me to do right now is defeat 20 sleeper ships for 20 reward points and complete the war zone extraction site for 10 reward points yeah. unfortunately this is something that you have to stay on top of uh almost every single day there isn't much room for error because these tasks uh come with 20 hour cooldowns i believe so you can't do you cannot do them too frequently <laughs> that's right yep. so I love when you... it's it's essentially if you want these rewards you've got to do at least uh 10 or 11 or 12 daily quests uh in a 14 day period I love uh, Caleb's cynicism when he says it's like Eve Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> we have the, the, the daily Eve Bingo and we have the shows. So it's always going to be used the same things. Eve is dying and blah, blah, blah. All right. So one is uh, opportunity seems to be geared towards new players to show them right. how to use the mechanics. Uh, the agency seems to be kind of a, it was kind of a live event. And it's funny because CCP classifies live events as not actually devs working with players like it used to be a live event is something that you can take on yourself that's happening for a temporary amount of time i'm not entirely clear on that uh i don't know if the definition of live event has changed uh but these are definitely timed duration events yeah well when they were talking about it in the summit minutes they were saying live events and this is what they were talking about and they explained there that it's this is what we consider a live event um, yeah, exactly. Because uh -huh. it used to be, if you think about it, it used to be live events where the devs playing the game along with the players. Like the first yeah. Titan that was rolled out was was basically, I think it was Serpentis Titan, was moved across New Eden and players were encouraged to escort it uh, to keep it from you know things that were going to be attacking it. And that was considered a live event. Um, there was a great race that was considered a live event. But these are all like devs in the game doing the live event with the players. 
yeah. the problem is because it's a sandbox and it has a history, um, they never knew the outcome. So it was hard for them to kind of keep the lore intact without the outcome kind of going all over the place. I'm holding my pen over the D20 uh, event. Yeah. On my bingo chart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, this is the um, instrument which they will be using. Uh, well, actually, I'll say, say this. We didn't cover Scope, but Scope is basically an in-game news channel that produced mm -hmm. videos uh, that would basically just tell you what was going on in the game after it happened. Uh, and usually it was announcing expansions as they were coming out. And Scope was really prominent in 2008 and nine when the Imperium Age was coming out because they used that. Uh, that was an interesting uh, expansion. Does anyone remember that? It's also the era when uh, CCP was ramping up their video presence in general, right? It was, I think that was actually where they got uh, a, a team that was dedicated to doing more regular uh, video content and that became the scope. That's right. Yep. Yeah, anybody remember that expansion though, or is it? Well, I started in the middle of Apocrypha. That sounds just a little before my time. Yeah, it was just a, a couple expansions before that. But what they did was they went into downtime, and then all these news reports were coming out on uh, the forums and during like not patch notes, but news. And it was all like RP'd. Oh, this is happening now. This is happening, and now this is happening. And all these events were actually covered in the novel, The Imperium Age. So you can read The Imperium Age, go back and look at the uh, announcements during downtime uh, that CCP was giving you. And that's when all the events in the book were happening. And then yep. Scope uh, was also reporting through videos um, a lot of the imagery that was in the novel as well. So it really it was pretty neat to see it tied together like that. So it, for me, it was great because I just started not long before, and I was reading the novel and and um, seeing these things happen, and it just seemed to tie it all together into like, you know, a much bigger world than it, than it was. But lately, Scope has come back and been this kind of um, it had a, ra a run there for a while of kind of showing players, notable players, doing things inside the game. So it was a way of showing off the game, I think. I think it's interesting when you put it like that, and when you generally uh, tie up all these, call it loose ends in, in, in EVE history. It's almost as it feels to me as if CCP are basically trying to bite over uh, too much, and that they're trying to make a game with a skeleton crew, and they're still struggling with that. They have all these great ideas, they have all this great ambition stuff, and they're really rolling out things in a fairly decent way. It's just that they need about double the, 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 the crew size to actually do it right or in a way that you would compare to other AAA titles, right? Because I've been very impressed with what's been happening for the last now, well, 24 months or something like that. And this whole thing with the agency and the new player experience, they're kind of delivering a bit on what they promised, right? A new player will have a totally new uh, experience and a different uh, way into the game compared to anyone before this. Oh, mm -hmm. I, yep. so you're happy about the the direction it's been going for the last two years? Yeah, in general, I am. I'm seeing a lot of very positive things. It's a bit haphazard and a little bit scattered all over the place, but I can kind of blame the the uh, the roadmap and the rollout uh, speed, and of course CSM coming in and saying, "Well, we have to get this before something else," which is valid and important. But that just maybe makes it a little bit difficult for CCP to do it in an order that actually makes sense. Yeah, I feel I, this. Yeah, I am sorry. I am all in favor of making the game more understandable to new players. Ooh. Absolutely. And I think they do a good job 
improving on that. I feel they they have like three directions stuff is coming from like they have the big roadmap with all the citadel changes and all that which is the main thing they're working on then there's obviously the csm and players that come in and say we need this now you can't wait another year to fix this and then there is probably new people at ccp coming in um someone mentioned ghost earlier uh other people that have ideas on their own um i guess that's where stuff like the agency is coming from i was just mentioning ghost because it's so funny that the new thing that's coming out is named the agency and he talked a lot about bringing player agency into the game which is a whole new obvious part is <laughs> obvious right <laughs> yeah yeah hmm. It's pretty, yeah, pretty obvious. Here's your agency. Uh, okay, but the agency is, um, so the agency is a new thing to kind of get you into live events, as they call them, or basically content. But it's going to be expanded into not just live events, but getting you into the game, um, almost, uh, you know, in the form of a radar uh, and showing you all the different opportunities there are of things to do. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute when we talk about the new UI that's coming out. But for now, we have uh, the agency has been through a few uh, different things. Actually, even before it was the agency, it was um, just seasonal events, right? Like you had the October event with Blood Raiders. What are those things? What were those called? I think each event had its own name, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yep. so it didn't have it one. Really, right? yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think CCP ever said that there was this event. It was just, you know came along Halloween, you had the Blood Raider, um, the Blood Harvest, and, and things like that. Um, and what was the one that you did? Christmas? Serpentis, I think? Oh, the Shadow of the Serpent event, which was basically the precursor to the, uh, uh, the agency, because uh, that was all done through the scope. Yep. How many hours did it take for you to do that? That was 80, but 80 hours to like complete that. But that was, this, this event is like... That event was very different to this one. A lot of the reward structure, like how the the Eve daily bingo is played, um, is exactly the same way. But uh, the actual event itself is very, very different. From anything. Like this, in that one, you had sites that anybody could go into. You had to kill the things, and when you killed a certain number of the things, you could scoop the loot. Or uh, there were lots of different varied events that went around it, and the whole point of that was to grind up the points to get this blueprint for a ship. Um, in these ones, they're a bit different. You still have the grind up for the points, but their specifics, the, the, the sites, it's just one site that you have that you go into. And it's a little bit different in that you're effectively doing a fetch quest within these sites. So you have to go in and pick up these items that drop uh, and then return to the quartermaster, who coincidentally, actually, the quartermaster is a character from Valkyrie. Um, so there's a weird sort of link in there um, for that sort of thing. But um, you go, you scoop these loots, and there's drifters in there a lot. And a lot of people complaining a lot about them because they apply a lot of um, a lot of electronic warfare, specifically energy neutralizers. Um, but uh, Noisy Game has done a whole bunch of testing on it. Uh, if you go and look at this week in Eve, there's actually a link to his blog where he recommends a whole bunch of different fits and how to run the site as well and what sort of loot you can expect. And the loot is typically like sleeper loot, uh, blue loot, which you can sell back to NPCs, and some drugs. Maybe drugs. if you stop bitching and actually try and apply yourselves to the problem and actually make <laughs> an effort, you can solve them! Who would have thought? <gasps> Who would have thought? Don't but yeah, so. a lot of people were like, are pretty, pretty upset about some of the... Like some of the... Uh, 
some people have been losing some very, very expensive ships in these sites, um, including one being uh, Akades as well, which was the Alliance tournament ship, <laughs> because uh, the person forgot Whoa. to turn on the new NPCs on their overview. Oh, so he got surprise attacked. Yeah, so he went into the site, saw somebody to go kill. I'm going to kill him with Mercedes, and the drifters um, scrammed, webbed, neutered him to death, and <laughs> there you go, bye bye, Cadiz, with 200 and something kill marks on it as well at the time. So, oh wow! So that was uh, pretty burned. But um, you know, the guy petitioned it and said, "Hey, you know what, CCP." I didn't know that I needed to turn on these NPCs and I ended up losing a ship, really expensive ship, and it got reimbursed. So, Oh, so he got reimbursed, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. He didn't get back the modules that dropped, only the modules that were destroyed. Absolutely. Oh, um, still, uh, what do you guys think of that? Oh, this is a side note, but what would you think of that? Because if it were They're... rats that had been in the game for five years then you'd lost a kaides because you're done if it's rats they introduced last week and they didn't really make a like hey you need to change your overview there are new rats then you know i can see them reimpressing that, and that seems well, i think he got away with it because it was against nobody else that could counter complain but there's been a lot of times when in fact if you look at a lot of these things the uh um the betrayal and um unplugging of sovereignty from uh, Korgoth or whatever for Band of Brothers was a new mechanic that had come out. PL losing all their space and fountain uh, was a new mechanic that had come out. They didn't quite figure out. Um, and in, even in this last one with the Keepstar being swiped away from CO2, it was a mechanic that was kind of new. Like you couldn't really figure out that it worked that way. Uh, none of that stuff was reimbursed. But again, that's between players. So maybe it's a bit different than when you you yeah. know, screw up to a new mechanic that's just a uh, just PVE. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, not a new mechanic, though. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I wonder. You go into a site with a gate, and you know there will be something to fight. So at that point, I decide if I go in with an expensive ship or not. I mean, the I mean, overview yeah. was just a byproduct that made it harder to to fight it. But like, I don't yeah. know. Well, there seems to be like two two sort of arguments that are behind this. One that it was because CCP genuinely messed up, like how the the rats were shown, because they were just coming up as some strange code rather than their actual names. And then some other people were basically saying they would have still worked if you turned them on. Um, I can't. I didn't do that, so I don't know whether it's it's it's, it's actually a thing or not. Um, but I think from my point perspective on this, if after all these years, um, still can't figure out a way to push some form of amendment to people's overviews in order to get these on. Uh, it kind of can be forgiven in the first few days of an event coming out that you just YOLO ship in and go, oh, hang on a minute, I wasn't prepared for this. Sorry, if I could get in a word edgewise. I was actually just about to say uh, it would yeah. actually help if amongst our overview options for a given filter, we could add a filter for um, uh, whenever new NPCs that can shoot at me are introduced, add them to this filter. Hmm. Well, uh, I was going to say we can't go too far with it because Arendus points out that uh, the dev admitted that the table entry was bugged. Um, because he didn't put it incorrectly. So it was a dev error, and that's why they reimbursed the ship. So that puts that to rest. But it was nice to explore. Um, 
All right. So going back to this, uh, and, and what we're talking about here is the war zone extractions, right? Is that what these things are called? That's right. And so these are part of the agency. And as we were saying before, uh, the agency has kind of taken these seasonal events and put them under one umbrella, the agency. And so this seasonal event is the war zone extraction. And it looks like it's tied to Valkyrie, which is very interesting because... Somebody tell me why that's interesting. Because Eve Valkyrie's doing a new patch or expansion, I think. I think the point is rolling out more law integration into the events that they're creating. That's what it looks like, and it makes uh, perfect sense that they're doing more of this in the wake of the whole event thing that they did with the LARP in uh, in Iceland at FanFest. And they were actually intending on doing something uh, maybe in in Amsterdam, as far as Falcon has said. So, so if this is some sort of ARG-like content, uh, I know that. Uh, uh, the discourse is uh, collecting some of the some of the items because there seem to be hints uh, dropped at at new content and and things that are new in in the whole law perspective. And if they tie that into the other brand uh, brands, they, it makes perfect sense to, that uh, something is going to be integrated in what I call a soft integration instead of the old bombardment hardcore uh, integration. And that's well, the uh, corrupted trinary relics that drop in the war zone sites, yep. There's also another point to make that uh, Valkyrie will be non-VR compatible, so that is a great right. change, so I guess yeah. they hope for a bigger player base. That's happening on the 26th? Right. Yeah, we'll all be able to finally try and play Valkyrie without the VR stuff. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, let's make but sure I, we make it, that point really well. The uh, on on at the in a couple in a, actually in two is it Tuesday? No. Yeah, Tuesday, or the twenty sixth of this month, Valkyrie will be able to play it on your P, be, be able to play be played on your PC uh, without any goggles or anything like that. That's right, and it's not just—it's um, not just this part of the update as well. They're actually um, rebalancing a whole bunch of ships. There's a whole bunch of new ships. There's lots of things that they're um, doing uh, with the game now. So it's—and they've answered a lot of uh, feedback that the Valkyrie community's been giving them as well about balancing. So there's a huge update going on there, not just this VR thing and. Um, uh, they've been promoting, if you look follow the Valkyrie Twitters and things like that, they've been showing off some of the new ships and stats and things. Um, and they've added in some new roles and stuff for, for ships. So um, if you haven't tried it before uh, or you've tried it before and you're looking to get back into it again, there's a lot of content for existing players and new ones as well. Yeah, looking forward that's... to the respond uh, on all of that because it's all going to be... Uh, time so it's just before uh vegas and i know that rue is actually going to be doing a presentation at vegas so it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if he's going to get uh, standing applause or get killed <laughs> well remember this is like uh, okay when when uh dust 514 came out people were kind of hyped about it because it was something they could play while they waited and then they said it's going to be ps3 and and my whole corporation was like, oh, no, I can't believe they're doing that. They're totally – I'm not getting a PS3 to, to you know, because it's already, you know, ending of its own life cycle. So why should I buy a PS3 to be able to play, you know, a different version of EVE Online? 
So people were genuinely upset about that. And Valkyrie came out, same thing. They made a deal. It was about you know virtual reality. You needed to have goggles, but oh, again, well, it was you should you should remember they did go back on the exclusivity. It was on all platforms from the beginning. All VR platforms were, were intended to to get the rollout mm -hmm. right. So it, they already had learned from experience. But we have to also point out that in that time, right in that era of game development, the whole thing of exclusivity and how these deals were made were very normal. So. I can kind of uh, uh, give some sort of apology to CCP for doing that, except it was a huge mistake. And this time they've definitely learned the lesson. Well, it's it's also retroactive. Maybe this was part of the plan was, and this is all the same lesson they learned, was to release it first exclusive, make some money on that deal, but then give it to the players later. And that's what's happening now. So what you're going to get is uh, you're going to be able to play Valkyrie you know, on the same computer you're playing EVE Online. And that's happening Tuesday. Cool. And also remember, even if you look at the stats for what you need to run Valkyrie now, without the VR headset, the stats requirement, uh, the spec requirement on your computer is actually a lot lower. Um, so if you didn't have the spec computers to run it now, you may actually have the spec computers to run it once it goes to Warzone. Well, that's interesting too. So this Warzone then is very much tied to the release of Valkyrie, uh, which is uh, interesting. I didn't really see that link before. Yeah, and hence the uh, reason that the Quartermaster's um, included in these these events in Eve because he's also a character in Valkyrie uh, that you you approach to help fit out your ships and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so again, I just want to reiterate that because that's a big deal. Valkyrie coming out Tuesday for uh, PC without goggles, no extra equipment needed, which is cool. I'm sure we're going to get a chance to actually cover it in next weekend shows because uh, if it's as good as i hope it's gonna get uh, definitely gonna be covered well how good do you uh, think it can get it's just it's a it's a flight sim fighter thing uh without all the hassle of uh of traditional real life based uh, uh flight sims so I, I just think it's gonna be amazing and knowing how dedicated the vr audience is it must be good it's a very different game to EVE Online. It's, it's very much a pick-up, um, log-in, select your ship, get into a match, play for 20 minutes, um, maybe do another match and then log out sort of thing. It's, it's way more accessible um, for a lot of people, and it's going to be even more accessible now. Without sounding very old, I think it reminds me of, uh, of the Descent games. That was the first like <laughs> full free 3D oh, man, uh, I remember all that stuff, and it's 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 what I'm hoping it's going to be somewhere in between that and actually all Wing, Wing Commander, which then almost yeah. triggers all the uh, yeah. Wing Commander, the original. Well, the thing is that Eve players like play Eve and do other things. If you're mining, sometimes you watch Netflix. Sometimes you're, you know, uh, dual boxing or whatever. But even then, you're doing something else. And one of the things I used to do is uh, World of Tanks was really popular at one point. Uh, then World of Warships was popular too. But the, people are playing these instant little fighting games while they're playing Eve at the same time. So now you can play Valkyrie if you want, while you're playing EVE at the same time, stay inside the same universe. I think that's their underlying idea from CCP, that they are realizing this whole benefit of uh, the cross-platform pollination thing and then going uh, multi-platform as well, right? So not just the different mm. games, but also the tools you use to access the game. So I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing tablet-oriented uh, content uh, coming to EVE or some of the other uh, games as well. And Sephiroth Clone 5 says he's watching this show while playing Eve. There you go. 
But um, and in the uh, Imperium, a lot of them are playing some sort of FPS while kind of playing uh, Eve Online as well, right? So you have this whole tabbing between two games or uh, even more um, with Nova coming after um, uh, the whole Valkyrie thing. We will have an FPS as well. So we will have a flight simulator, we'll have an FPS game, we will have the big strategic meta game, and then potentially maybe somewhere down the line, a tablet oriented, I don't know, PI or similar stuff. So then you're covered. You don't need to play anything except CCP brands. Oh, yeah. Also have the, the party spots game, Spark. Yeah. Oh, Sp- oh, yes. Spark came out as well quite recently, too. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been quite entertained by um, CCP Falcons videos on it, especially the one with the guy in the, at the start. Because you can talk to each other when yeah, you're yeah. playing a match with each other. And there's a guy that he's videoed starting off a match going, I bow before a match as a respect of honor to the dead because I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> I just thought, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and, it's uh, really pretty funny. I, I, I love that Leela was playing it in the background last time he was actually oh, on one right. of the shows. That was so funny. Yeah, she looked like she was rave dancing. <laughs> the rave dance of death. Uh, Apathy, were you going to say something about this? No, um, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, right. I think the only thing I'd probably want to finish this this section on is I still I still have hopes and dreams there back that what we were shown back in 2000 and I want to say 13. It may have been 12 um, when we were shown at the final keynotes at FanFest was a, like a mock-up of the logon screen um, where you log in as your, your character and it would ask you which game you wanted to play and as you selected each game it showed your eve character as they were in eve and then it showed them with a valkyrie flight suit and then it showed them with a with a dust uh, trooper power armor on and i still hope one day that that's going to be a thing but uh, as time goes on i don't think it's going to be a thing anymore and that leaves me a little bit sad yeah, well, I don't think so because the guy that was kind of behind that, and it seems that's how CCP works. Uh, certain guys get behind certain projects, and then when they go, there's a lot less momentum for it uh, to pick it up and run with it. But that guy went on to NVIDIA, so uh, he's no longer with the company, which means that that kind of vision seems to have been like post Incarna, pre uh, CCP Seagull, I think. See that with with that logic, I told you you have to go and 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 blame Soundwave for PI still being this horrible. Because when he left, that was kind of the end of development. Then it's board. not been iterated on at all. Like hardly anything has been changed in uh, PI since he he left, and it was kind of his baby as far as I know. Yeah, turns out he doesn't live far from me here in Los Angeles. And his office is almost next to you, right? Yeah. So we, we travel the same commute, drink at the same coffee shops. If I bump into him, I'll say, hey, what happened to PI? Uh, <laughs> he'll be like, what? That was a different life ago. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so the uh, Warzone Extractions are the new uh, adventure, I guess, inside of the agency. But what's, what's really striking to me is the unification of um, opportunities to do things. And that looks like it's going to be mostly consolidated into a new UI, which was really just announced during the summit minutes. So it hasn't been talked about that much. Um, But in the minutes, they did cover it pretty well. If you want to go back there, you can check out what that's about. And you're going to be able to see on a map basically what's around you and what there is to do. So if somebody comes into the game, 
says, oh, I only have like an hour, so what, what should I do? <laughs> That's kind of funny to say, right? I only have an hour to play Eve. No. <laughs> Normally yeah, it's like some people. multiple hour aff- uh, affair. But yeah, you just basically uh, would look on there and, and, and find things to do. And more and more stuff is going to be put into there. And who knows where it ends, but there'll be definitely, uh, it'll be your it'll be your newspaper when you get into the game to see what's going on out there and what you can get involved with. And I think it's going to be a part of a bigger overhaul of uh, user interface stuff. And I, I definitely uh, see that they are being very active in trying to roll out some new stuff. They already pointed towards adding more stuff to this uh, session finder, how they call it. And yeah, I think it's pretty cool, especially for people that don't have too much time and uh, newer players to have some orientation where to go, what to do. It's also the fastest reacting team, isn't it? I remember something about, uh, was it Falcon or Fozzy being asked some, something on the show uh, about a feature and that team had actually already fixed it and he hadn't even noticed. Oh, really? They're, they're that quick at fixing things? Yeah, do you remember? I think it was, was it Kakua uh, that had already uh, posted and, and fixed it in the past? Oh, that was, yeah, true, true. So the uh, initially, when it first launches, you're going to be able to see um, the events from the agency that are out. You're going to be able to find agents in there. You're going to be able to find what's coming, uh, Resource Wars, that's coming this next uh, expansion. Uh, which are basically uh, mining missions and defensive mining uh, facilities and stuff. Um, you're going to be able to find asteroid belts, epic arc agents, and signatures and anomalies. Those are the things that are going to be included in the first wave of um, this new... I don't even know if it has a name. I don't know if, uh, if Yukiko can lift a little bit of the veil on this, but... All of these things that are being rolled out are tied into that whole new AI uh, stuff, especially with things like standing and responsive uh, NPCs. So there's definitely some very interesting chaos down the line, potentially. What's not going to be included are incursions, uh, landmarks, uh, factional warfare stuff's not in there, or escalations uh, for exploration sites. So because kind of the higher end um, PVE is not going to be there. It's probably a matter of time. I mean, we mentioned those things at the summit because they obviously lean towards being in there some way. Um, so I guess that will happen sooner or later after the release. Yeah, and as Larry can point it out, I think also on, on this show, I was the whole thing that their intention is to get all of these things into the same uh, user interface and into the new AI and all that stuff. But it's going to be a matter of priority of what goes in first. Yeah, also, I would, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty important also that we point them to having this uh, in a way that it's not revealing information that you wouldn't get mm. otherwise so there will never be like i don't know the the, um, the anom- anomalies that you didn't scan out stuff like that right well that makes sense you have to discover stuff still exactly yeah all right well and so that's interesting so you can tell by you know the stuff they leave out because they're mentioning it that will be included at a certain point so you can see this thing evolving and you can get involved with this yourself right now because it's on test server so if you want to go to cc uh, log into the test server where there are very few people testing out the new stuff that's not in game yet uh, you can go ahead and do that and see some of the stuff in there already 
And if you do do that, make sure you provide lots of feedback to the devs. You know, one of the things people used to always say, go to the test server, and I never knew how to get there, but it's never been as easy as it is now because it's basically on the launcher. You just decide which server to go in. So you can play the normal server or you can uh, switch it to the test server right there in the uh, launcher. I mean, you might have to make sure that under your settings, the um, you can you've got the test server selected, and so you can see it on the drop-down menu. But otherwise, yeah, it's uh, it's straight there. Because beforehand, it used to be like copying a whole client over and creating a duplicate client, and then messing around with the, some of the, the the files to make sure it pointed to the right server, which was quite fun. Don't remind me. <laughs> I vaguely uh, remember that you have to, you had to basically program. Uh, you had to fix files a certain way. So anyway, it was a big mess. It was hard to do. Only certain players did it. But now test server is as easy as just switching a little switch. Once you say in your settings you want to see that server, you'll be able to see it and get into it. Very easy to do. Uh, and that's how these guys do a lot of the, uh, like the Lone Wolf, who's a great podcaster. You see his stuff. He's on the test server um, playing with it, showing you what it what it's like, how it works, and then uh, you know, tons of people are watching that because they want to be ready when it actually hits um, the game itself. You'll see a lot of people who do wormhole stuff get into a test server to test out the new stuff uh, for wormholes when it comes out, uh, and they all they always dig up a lot of like lore hints, and then they talk about that uh, before it ever enters the game. Uh, this is why I would love to see CCP actually go ahead and do some sort of, I don't know if they could do it on a virtual machine setting, but doing historical servers so you could go in and see old versions of EVE because that would just be mind-blowing. Yeah, for a lot of new people, I think that would actually frighten them quite a lot. Like, oh my god, what's the game really like this? That would really put things in perspective, and it would also help us with some of the things when we talk about, well, when did this actually change from this type of uh, gameplay to this type of gameplay and when did they bring in these items and when did these ships actually come in so if they could have like well, i don't know x number of, of uh, virtual servers that were running all the old versions of eve that would just be so cool the only thing i'd want to do with that though is to get an actual proper cavalry raven with all the micro warp drives that can keep up with its own missiles and fire. Like literally, that would be the only thing I'd want to do. And just alpha ships with all my torpedoes. That would be great. It would also be so nerdy because you would most likely have to log in or have the client installed on a virtual machine. So you would actually have a client on a virtual machine and the server on a virtual machine. Otherwise, it wouldn't work with modern technology. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that was too nerdy. No, 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 no. That's that's what this show is all about. Is, uh, <laughs> thanks for doing that. Uh, Apathy, did you want to say something about PCU? Uh, sure. So one of the things that's nice to notice, whenever the PCU is going down on, I believe it's Kripa's site, eve-offline.net, something like that. Um, everybody one. on Reddit goes, Oh my god, the game is changed. But really, like, and they do those kind of like red arrows and they just follow the current trend down. For the first time in a year, um, if we ignore the release of alphas, the PC is actually going upwards. So I'm going to do the opposite and assume that that trend is now consistent and exactly what's going to happen for the next year. So in about 10 months, we'll be hitting the most players logged in at once ever in EVE. Uh, that's, that's what I'm going with. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I love that e EVE is alive. 
Yeah. Eve yeah. lives. Eve is getting stronger. Eve is getting better. But realistically, you know, it, it, it's seasonal, right? Last yeah. year as well, we saw the summer slump. It's going back up into the more active winter. Like in my mind, the way I look at the PCU over the past couple of years is that during wars, during eras of really a lot of stuff going on, the PCU does jump up to like 40, 50k. But it seems to be that no matter how stale the game is for many people, no matter if nothing's going on for months at a time, no matter if the player base is really upset and angry and whatever's going on and CCP are seemingly not doing anything or making a bunch of mistakes, we always mm -hmm. seem to hit this bedrock of like about 30k on the PCU. And like that seems to be no matter how bad things are, no matter how the PCU suddenly drops, you just kind of like hit a hit a hit a block at thirty thousand players on the PCU. Um, so it's nice to see the PCU going back up, more friends to play with, and hopefully, hopefully, this is a trend that we will see continuing going forward. And it's good for uh, Tiberius's uh, flex position. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people uh, are saying, "Oh, good, new people to trick." Uh, they don't no, but it's the a uh, topic, right? If if this continues and you get the synergy effects from the new brands, it, they definitely need to consider it because otherwise you could end up with totally unpayable plex, and you need to rebalance uh, the whole economy from that. Well, I think yeah, if, you, if you look at the graph below, sorry for one sure. second. Um, if you look at the graph be uh, below that one on the site, is that the new players born graphs? don't have an insane amount of variance so this isn't a ton of new pe new characters being created and joining the game it looks like it's just people coming back after summer or people who have mm -hmm. had accounts returning possibly because mm -hmm. they've heard about lifebud possibly because they've been busy over the summer well i uh, probably think it's the latter but yeah anyone else on this no, I was just having a look at the same graphs as well, and yeah, there seems to be uh, the PCU uh, from this time last year is about two thousand people higher than what it was. So that's, that's pretty good. good. And that again, when when we up two thousand people, uh, get really scared that the game is going to trend this way for until it's out of its life. And uh, I like the idea of reversing that, saying this is the beginning of a trend for the next six months, which can <laughs> be true, right? Because we're getting into winter. And, and it would actually make make perfect sense, right? Because if you consider all the things that are coming now, it's 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 going to be very easy to uh, bring the whole hype train back, right? The the Eve Vegas coming up, Eve Amsterdam is coming up. Uh, then you get the uh, the new patch. You get uh, all the uh, potential of uh, them presenting things at Vegas that we haven't even considered or talked about yet. So the hype train is most likely going to leave the station. Also, um, there's more than in the summit minutes, which I obviously cannot talk about, but I'm really looking forward to that also in terms of PCU. So have we got some surprises coming up in It's Expect to Need Vegas that we don't know anything about yet? I don't know when. Uh, I mean, if eFigures will be something to uh, disclose this stuff, um, but I hope for soonish, let's say. Well, that's interesting. Talk tease, you keep. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but I had to because I bet you love it as well. That's the entire reason I... you're on the CSM just to tease us. Kind of no, but I'm so. No, it's actually because I'm so excited about it. I'm waiting for it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll have you on when when it gets announced. Hopefully at E Vegas, which is coming up in two weeks, I think. Um. But yeah, last thing on this, the, the PCU is, uh, again, there is a seasonal trend to Eve. There always has been. That's why when people panic, the game is dying. They're, they just haven't been around long enough to realize this happens every single summer. 
people go out and spend their summer with uh, their families or have fun or whoever knows what they do. They, they just stop playing Eve in this, in the same numbers they played during the winter when it gets colder. And if you live anywhere outside of California or a sunny place like that all year round, that's just a trend that you get used to by looking at the numbers. So good, good. Uh, I'm glad to point that out. Didn't we get half a confirmation? Was it from Falcon that they might actually that there might actually be some uh, Nova coverage officially uh, presented at uh, Vegas this year? Yes, uh, there was, um, but I have had since heard from um, someone from the the uh, old Dust uh, Nova community um, that when they had a word with uh, one of the developers, they weren't sure what Falcon was talking about. So, <laughs> okay, so, so it's not actually a hundred percent confirmed. Absolutely, but, uh, right, it yeah. was only uh, the media stuff, a media crew that had access to it at FanFest, right? Yeah. Well, we we shall find out. Uh, but you did say something, Caleb. It was pretty interesting. The the new synergy, and I think that's that is something that actually hasn't happened as well as it should have. That when when Dust came out, it was a first person shooter that would attach to Eve Online through orbital strikes, so people in Eve Online could aid players inside of Dust. That didn't pan out the way they thought it would, uh, for various reasons. And because it's on that, the field, right? I think uh, from a marketing perspective off field or what I call a soft integration is so much more going to be the players creating that narrative, talking about the fact that say something in the law is parallel in Eve and in Valkyrie, that's going to create content like the discourse commenting on it. So it's something that the players will pick up and, and run with instead of this on field where you're dependent on what actually happens in game. Yeah. So the new synergy is basically going to be Valkyrie, uh, playing Valkyrie while you're playing uh, Eve. At the same time, there's um, what's it called, the Legion, I think. And Nova. so maybe Nova. Oh, sorry, Nova. It was Dust changed to uh, Legion. Scratch those two. It's actually Nova. That's the one that it's called now, and that is a first-person shooter version of Eve, uh, to some degree. So you have other games that are all part of the same universe that might entice players to cross-pollinate uh, those games. So we'll see. Yep. Yep. And I know a lot of people that came over because of Dust on the PS3 because they became engaged in the wider universe. And when I realized that, hey, you know, I can actually make a character that could potentially produce materials for my Dust character, this was never going to happen, and it never happened. But if I could have done that, um, I'm going to go create a character. So then Tiberius was born, and um, and now my Dust tune is uh, forever Dust. hiding on the server. No, yeah, pretty much. And of course, my, my, my personal uh, dream is that with the new Economic Council, maybe the integration will focus on integrating the economies of the brands at some point instead of trying to do game mechanics. Yeah, uh, Zuli, don't be confused. Dust is gone. Uh, if, <laughs> make, there's no doubt about that. Although it did kind of break even, right, Tiberius? Uh, yeah, Dust, dust um, broke into a profit. Um, only just, but it did actually break into a profit. Um, and that's mainly because uh, towards the last year of its, its like development, um, there was a bunch of really cool stuff because I think CCP just turned around and went, you know what, we're kind of abandoning this. You guys go nuts and do whatever you want to do. And so they did, and they created a whole bunch of cool stuff, which um, uh, which a lot of people bought into. So, yeah, it, it, did, it broke even in the end. 
Yeah. And, and Valkyrie did about the same? Valkyrie did about the same, yeah. As of uh, a few months back, Valkyrie broke even too. So it's recouped all its costs back and whatever is, uh, CCP is making on it is now making a profit. And uh, with this Warzone expansion coming out uh, next week, um, they should be expanding it to a whole bunch more people as well. And not to act like a teacher, but uh, how did Gunjack do? Gunjack did phenomenally well for like, <laughs> like um, I think it was, I think when I was talking to one of them at uh, FanFest about it, it was the, the number one on the chart, uh, wife is doing the recycling game. Um, it was number one on the chart uh, for the like mobile VR games for literally months. It, it sold yeah. millions of copies. So it, was, uh, uh, it did really well. Simple to develop. It was a simple concept. It was basically 3D Galaga, uh, but in EVE, and you were a, a gunner on a mining ship defending it. And that was just... Uh, it's funny, when I went to EVE Vegas, was it last year, They pl I played Valkyrie, and then I played Gunjack, and I was like, this little Gunjack is pretty entertaining, and it's tiny. So I, it, it didn't surprise me. Yep. All right. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, and um, thinking of like other games uh, and projects uh, that CCP and worked on. Um, recently, the Project Discovery team did a Ask Me Anything on Reddit. Uh, quite yeah. interesting. Um, it was on the R Science Reddit, which had a whole bunch of, um, I mean, it has hundreds of thousands of people uh, on it. And the I won't go into a lot of detail about the questions, but a lot of people were asking about the questions about how they do the data, uh, what the kind of response has been, and the response has been um, just the same as it was last time. They're amazed at how much data the Eve community gets through. Um, they've they've gotten the Eve community as a whole has gotten through all the data sets way faster than they ever thought they would, and now they're currently busy collating all the information and collating all the data to see what sort of quality the data was. Um, no planets discovered yet, <laughs> oh, wow. um, but they said that there were some promising-looking data sets, which they now have to go away and test and prove that there is actually a planet there before announcing it. So that's that's kind of cool. to think yeah. that EVE players discovered planets. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we, so, I'm hoping we get to name them soon. Point oh. up. <laughs> by, by the way, Tibbs, um, speaking of, uh, of, of Valkyrie and, uh, and Spark and stuff, uh, is there any uh, news on the whole uh, Plus 10 Gaming? Is there going to be some coverage of, uh, of the new mechanics when Valkyrie hits? Uh, soon, TM. Okay, so we're going to have <laughs> to wait till next show. We're going to wait till market. next show. already has it. <laughs> All right. Um, is there more on Project Discovery? No, nope, but it's very good. If you get a chance to uh, go have a look at the AMA, there was some really, if, especially if you're a statistician um, or kind of into your, uh, uh, you know, your exoplanet hunting and things like that, um, it, it's really interesting to read through because they do go into some depth about the science and the sort of things that they're doing to analyze the data um, and also some of the results from it. It was very interesting. And to put it in perspective historically, right, the whole thing with the exoplanets, it's a topic that's just been exploding. I'm sure that Apotheny has been following it as well. It's like from my era or our era, some of us are a little bit older, the whole Drake equation didn't have this whole boost that we've seen the last five years. Yeah, it, for me, it was really interesting because I was at a camp, uh, family camp this summer, and I met a professor from UC Berkeley, and we talked, and I told him about uh, Project Discovery, and he was really interested in it. So I actually gave him information on it. And this is like a top-tier astronomer 
um, you know, uh, was giving lectures on the eclipse and how interesting it was and stuff. So the fact that he was interested in a serious way, like tells you that this is kind of a new frontier, the crowdsourcing of these really smart people to help out with these things that only humans can do. Computers don't do this very well. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, but it's a huge leap, right? Because I remember it, it used to be very positive if, if you speculated that there was even one or two planets on every star on average, then you were going really high. But with the discoveries that they've had now, it's like easy to double that or even more because there's like several planets in each star system that's been analyzed, right? Uh, maybe we'll find New Eden after all. Yeah, there's actually there was one very very good near Earth candidate uh, found very close to us. I can't remember exactly if it was Tau Ceti or Proxima Centauri or something. Where one of them is actually very very Earth-like, with of course a totally different uh, uh, yearly uh, uh, rhythm. But it was very very close. It has 120 percent uh, Earth gravity, so very interesting indeed. And in the uh, Goldilocks zone. All right, more game stuff. Let's talk about what's going on there. Let's run through this list. Uh, who's got first balance pass? I can do first balance pass. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is the uh, so the first one of the, one of the things that are coming out in the update uh, very soon is uh, the first sort of pass on a uh, balance pass on a bunch of ships from the new team. Um, and it includes uh, the Rifter, Dragoon, Corax, Arbiter, Bellicose, Omen, Stabber, Tristan, and uh, the Vexer. Um, and they're all so you'll you'll kind of see that they're all alpha sh alpha ships ships that alpha pilots can get to fly. Um, so I can see that this is really kind of a, a, a aim at them to make those sort of ships much more accessible, much more usable. Um, includes things like swapping um, module slots around a little bit. Um, you know, making the core axe a bit faster uh, by making it less fat and um, giving it a bit more EHP and things like that. Uh, giving things more fitting capacity, um, except the Vexer, which is getting a bit of a nerf um, because it's losing a great big chunk of power grid. Uh, so, sorry, Vexer pilots, but uh, the Tristan is getting there. fatter as well. Yeah, the Tristan's getting fatter as well, totally. Um, so maybe we'll see less of those kitey kitey Tristans flying around all over the place. Yeah, no, this is this is really really awesome. The there they are broad changes. They aren't like super, super tight numbers wise. I guess that's arguable. These are the kind of changes I love if CCP did once every, say, three to six months. So they're just playing around with ships on the power curve. You're not necessarily nuking something into the ground or making something the new best flavor of the month ever. It's just something to change the state of balance between all the ships so all your established knowledge of what beats what has to be retested it's not flipped on its head but you kind of have to retest what's good and it's going to allow for a new few new interesting fits it means that the current flavor of the month is going to be more approachable like i i just love that they're doing this and especially with the focus on ships that alphas can fly and the ships that all of us can have a very low investing cost to just buy a stack of 10 of them with a fit you may up and just spend a weekend in placid throwing them at each other for a very small cost wouldn't it also be a good strategy to do balance uh passes in a uh, less high and, and fast impacting way so it's kind of like boiling the frog that you don't notice that the meta is changing until it's actually like several iterations down 
Um, I mean, I, th I think that there's different types of balance paths for different issues. For me, this is a quality of life, uh, mix things up a bit, a combination of looking at some ships that really are struggling and helping them out a bit, and also looking at the current flavor of the month and just taking them down like from 11 to a 9 or a 10. Uh, and, it, and it gives the player base a chance to test and reassess and see what's going on. All of your current logic kind of is still true. It's just that there are it, it, the the varying degrees of supremacy of one thing over the other thing are no longer true and maybe you know a ship that was the eighth worst ship is now the sixth worst ship in terms of PV in the pvp hierarchy and, and that kind of thing i think it's really interesting to do and i think that that's a really cool ongoing iteration balance pass rather than very specific targeted balance passes which are things like the great ishtar nerf which really had to be looked at because that wasn't just specifically i mean that was the Ishtar, but it was also the way in which sentries worked on cruiser hulls and how you the entire way bonuses works bonuses work on drone hulls had to be reassessed to go through that and it was entire the entire way in which a class of doctrine fought rather than these changes that aren't I, i'm going to assume aren't going to have any huge impacts in terms of how these ships are necessarily flown and how it's going to seriously affect a huge nullsec meta in terms of what people are importing and stuff this is a a smaller kind of just like ongoing set of iteration that aren't super extreme i agree so I... more more a bubbly thing than the hold my beer thing yeah Yuki. yeah i hope that this is exactly what will happen that they frequently do this kind of balance passes and just mix up the meta a bit actually i would hope for even more than three to six months although i guess three to six months is realistic hmm. and I, I'm, I'm particularly pleased that these are all um as i said like based on alpha ships as well because I think there is a very well acknowledged imbalance um, when it comes to certain alpha ships. Like um, everybody's default one is go get a Galente character because you don't really want to fly anything else. And I think this goes a long way to kind of addressing that balance. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Correct. Yeah. All right. Is that it for balancing? Yeah. That's a. That there is what uh, I, I'm amazed at what a balance pass can do for a game because when they redid the I guess it was cruisers and battle cruisers it was like it like refreshed T1 in a way that uh, was useless before made it a whole new thing to build them so yeah no not... piece no piece of software is perfect in its first version and game development is absolutely no different yeah it's also compared to many other games we have a lot of different scenarios that these ships are used in that is something people tend to forget we have big fleet fights we have small gangs we have solo pvp we have pve and to do a good balance pass is pretty hard compared to i don't know a mobile where basically you have one style of of playing the game and you can optimize for that yeah, <laughs> what they were doing at the beginning of the game were called imbalance passes, where basically they put anything they wanted into the game that sounded cool without balancing it. So uh, a lot of what's happening over the last few years is a, what they call design debt, where they have to go back and fix and pay down that debt for things they did before. But that's when the game was mm -hmm. super exciting and everything, like every, every six months was a new Christmas. Uh, but yeah. All right, uh, we're going to move into in-game news, but I'm going to actually bring in an old friend, uh, Ash Dorothy, 
Um, let's let's bring him in now. Somebody can grab Morgan. Hello, Astrothy. Astrothy, get your mic sorted. But um, yeah, so we're gonna move into uh, player news. Astrothy and... is like my top three favorite Eve like media producers of content. I love <laughs> this Shame you left channel, so you didn't hear say that. Ah, oh. <laughs> he came back. Uh, I think he's muted. Can you talk? He's not muted. He should have boy. Uh, well, he is. He's not, not able. transmitting. So he may not have found his push to talk button for Discord yet. If he works it out, uh, he'll get a chance to talk. But um, player uh, news. Yay. My mic wasn't right. fully plugged in. How's it going? Good. We were just flattering you while we were dragging you down. Uh, hope you were well. Thanks for uh, coming. All right. So we're moving on to player news now and the CO2 aftermath. Uh, I, you know, uh, people who have talked about this all week long, it was a, kind of a, a therapy section uh, session inside of Talking in Stations Discord. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, were like, you know, there was like 10, 15 people every day, all day long, talking about talking themselves through this, the psychology of it and stuff. So it, it you can't just ignore it from one week to the next. Uh, so we'll do a little aftermath about CO2. And let's take care of the news first there. The Triumvirate lost all their SOV, right? Tiberius? Yeah, um, so with the collapse of um, CO2, um, Triumvirate uh, and Vanguard found themselves in a bit of a precarious situation. Um, it was soon reported not long after the collapse uh, that people were evacuating from space. And um, in the last sort of uh, couple of days, uh, all the Triumvirate solve has gone. Finito. Finished. Well, that's the end of that. Um, so who benefited from CO2 corporations going to, you know, they had a scatter because CO2 is basically dead. And where did most of those go? Um, it seems it seems a lot of people have scattered about all, all over the place. Um, the big, a couple of the big winners um, have been so far test. Um, that swelled their ranks something between 1,200 to 1,400 uh, pilots. Uh, goons also took in a big influx of people as well, uh, along with uh, Moa and there's somebody else at the back of my mind that I was talking about the other day, and it's completely gone. But um, <laughs> the, the, there is a bunch of people, like the big winners have definitely been um, uh, like Mordu's Angels, Angels uh, yeah. and Test um, and things. They've, they've taken, uh, and Goons, they've taken a lot of pilots from, from CO2. Some went to darkness. Uh, who knows if anybody will end up in NC dot? That's a possibility. Um, but the only the only people who really left inside of CO two were the the core corporation there called the uh, Serbian Mafia, I think. No, the Balkan Mafia. Uh, they're still there, and they'll probably die there. Uh, Personally, I'm less interested about the first and the second chart, which are interesting. But the the sovereignty and the outposts chart, what's going to happen to those? That's going to be a very interesting situation because this collapse of space is fairly unique in the history of EVE insofar as we're about to have a really major land rush in the next month or two. So that NullSec space that's suddenly vacant um, is about to become very valuable. All of those outposts are about to become very valuable. And it looks like um, Brave was a big winner from that. Is that right, Yukiko? Yes, indeed. We grabbed a couple of impasse systems and catch as well. So we are pretty spread right now. Wow. But the Perfect question timing. is, when are you 
can hold that space through yeah. change. I, let's say, look forward to that. Now, when you say couple of systems, um, we're talking like 35? Yeah, yeah, yeah a couple. <laughs> So it was quite a lot. So, so you guys, uh, like Brave, uh, has, has gone from having eight systems to now quite a sizable chunk of space in, in, in three regions now. Two regions, catch and impasse. Yeah, catch and impasse. So uh, it's a good, good one for, for Brave. Well, yeah. and, and the flip side of that, uh, the war was really over contesting the space of DRF, which owns a huge amount of territory. And so that's now stopped. So they get to keep, it looks like, their territory up until the change. And they're going to benefit quite nicely because in this next change where moons, all moons, have some kind of material to offer, the more moons you have, the better, because the better chances you have of getting good moons. So uh, people who own a lot of space are the ones that are going to benefit the most. So that not only is it's only true. Yeah, go ahead. I, I feel that is only true if you can uh, tightly defend that space. Um, I mean, looking at uh, Imperium space, that is probably true. I'm not so sure about other alliances that have a lot of space because you effectively need to defend the mining platform and also all the miners that go there. So if it's a fringe system somewhere out in space, I'm not sure if that it's very beneficial for you if that's uh, and you need to build them right you need yeah, to actually exactly. build all that real estate and you need to populate it and you need to defend it it's not as easy as just saying the ones that have the most space is going to win it's the ones that utilize it in the most effective way so of Absolutely. course it's most likely going to be goons again because i'm sure they've already done all the math but it's going to be picked up by the rest of the community very fast and then i think uh the smaller or medium-sized ones are actually going to benefit more than, say, the, the goons are. But again, I don't know yet. Well, but the, the, the issue is that they may not mine the territory, but they can probably defend it since they've defended it so far. Uh, what they'll do is rent out the rights to it and uh, basically uh, possibly... Because it used to be that a power would have capture all the moons, so now... They don't want those moons because they can't use them. Their guys aren't going to be the ones to go and mine them. So now they put that as part of the renting package. So the more think, territory, I think you need have, to rethink the re, uh, the whole rental thing. You need to think somewhere in between uh, the uh, open uh, areas um, in the past, uh, the free ports, right? And rental. You need to find somewhere in between the two to really benefit from this mechanic because it's kind of almost CCP forcing some sort of activity even from less affiliated, less active casual or even neutral players, right? So if you want to really make bank on this, you come up with the models to uh, pay for the real estate, figure out how to not even rent it, but maybe sell it to neutral entities and then have some sort of affiliation and uh, investment in those assets in space. So it's it's the old rental model is, of course, it, it could work. I'm just saying that effectively you should consider something more novel. Well, yeah. maybe, but I kind of think they're going to roll it into the, the package and say, just pay a little bit more. Uh, we won't even touch the moons. You can have those too. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's a, a racket, right? That's pretty much uh, mobster methods. And I think uh, the ones that are going to try to innovate on this are going to beat the ones that are using the old mobster methods. 
I actually agree in in with the markets and with uh, industry with the engineering complexes. What we've seen generally is a uh, increase in public facilities ran by players as players realize that just getting people to use their stuff is uh, is valuable, even if it's not taxed or all that stuff, although they still find ways to do all those kinds of things, too. So um, what I think is going to happen and what I think people aren't really thinking about in all of this is that it's very scheduled. You get to decide how you want your moons to behave. So, um, for instance, you know, like in FedUp, we have a couple of plans that we've been thinking about. Like maybe Friday is just going to be mining day and we just set it so that all of our stuff shows up at the same time so that people know what's going on. These are structured behavior. It's not like uh some random happenstance that is what a, a lot of content is defined as in eve right it's like oh our stuff happened to be attacked this night therefore what we're doing tonight happens to be uh intosising well in this case we know that thursday nights is supposed to be or friday nights is supposed to be mining nights um the other thing that i've been thinking about is possibly people charging uh for admission right because uh while i may not be able to deal with the uh hold on deal with a small child at home well i think the point is that, that, that this this whole thing that's rolling out now has a huge potential to involve what i would call the eve financial sector right you can do a lot of control of your space by of course having uh, sovereignty dominance and having uh, the military force to actually put out there but if you have renters i'd call them neutrals but you still have access to their markets and to their facilities and stuff like that you can really let them do their own thing and you're going to benefit anyways because if they're very productive that's going to mean something to the price if they're not but they have uh, needs that they need to uh, fulfill right they're going to then take advantage of the context with your uh, services and facilities so they're either going to be supplying or demanding exactly the things to make their life easy so it's going to be potentially a financial uh, sector revolution so uh, a couple things first of all uh, what i was suggesting is, is that, or what i was trying to say is that people the the strategy that i think somebody will go with which might be effective is what i call the ticket to ride um, basically, we know how much like a Hulk can mine in a period of time without any skills. So I could charge somebody X amount of ISK in order to bring a Hulk into my mining field, and then you're just allowed to mine whatever you want. Then I don't have to worry about the product. They've paid their ticket. They get to do their work. Uh, and then they can refine their stuff in my facilities if they want to use my rigs and whatnot. And in that sense, um, I, I have opened up way more opportunities for people to come. And although some people said that uh, that means that some nights uh, or the Friday nights will be solid defense nights, because as soon as people find out you have a schedule, they will be there to disrupt your schedule. While that is true, I strongly recommend you or I, I remind you that I have a scheduled Fortizard defense timer. It doesn't get hit a lot. And furthermore, if what if all my miners are in, in ventures and crap like that? Like, who cares? It's not going to be worth hitting necessarily, but it's going to still be worth doing. Hmm. Well, we can think about I hope that right, last point. Doing this, uh, with more than just the current moon materials. If they rolled it, it out for more things, it's going to be hugely beneficial because then it's going to be like in the old days when you're only focusing on the really rare stuff as a sub holding entity. That's where you're going to 
control that space, but the rest is just going to benefit you indirectly by making some uh, raw materials cheaper ac accessible uh, to you as an organization, whether that's cheaper titanium or whether it's uh, cheaper gases and stuff like that. You don't need to micromanage anymore. You don't need to use the old racket thing like a mobster. You can just let the, the money actually be the benefit. Yeah. So we can pick this up later because uh, we got plenty of time before the moon changes. We've already covered it a few shows. Maybe we'll have another show on it, talk about the theory about what may happen. But I want to move on to doctrines uh, and talk about jumpy ravens. So Apothne or Tiberius? Yeah, I love the jumpy Wake back raven. up. Wake back up. <laughs> I, I, love, I love the jumpy ravens so much. I All right. I get to be that guy. I really, I am fully aware they're pretty garbage. Like I think they're actually quite bad, but I love the uh, the concept of using command destroyer jumping as a core function within a fleet, rather than an opportunistic. Oh, we'll jump bubbles away. Oh, we'll jump bombs away. Oh, we'll jump the enemy logistics away as and when we can. Um, this is something that I've experimented with with armor phantasms and uh, logi freaks, where which works quite well as a roaming doctrine. I found. I don't like them in, in, in Ravens because in these larger fleet fights, um, keeping your logi with you is a lot more difficult. Obviously, if you have logistics in a typical fight, um, if you use cruiser logistics, they want to stay like 30k away from you. Um, uh, so if you're keeping that maintained, it's very difficult to jump both at the same time. You need two sets of command destroyers for each thing. And you've got to jump them so that they're still the same range apart uh here with sniper ships going back to sniper battleships is a really cool idea the local mjd has a different cooldown sometimes to what your other cooldowns are going to be which makes it more difficult again and uh, they seem to get dumpstered here by uh rokes that were i'm not sure if they were regular rokes that were just slightly counterfeit you know on the day pop one rig off for an ionic and then double tracking computer and some sigants in the lows compared to normal rail rokes they were just normal rail rokes with a few more range added i'm not sure if it was that or a very specific doctrine but um i think in the case of these armor ravens not a massive fan i i think that just a dcu and a plate that's gonna just reduce your agility massively so it's gonna be harder to align your more mass um that's a bit more difficult um uh, the all the sibos and the tracking computers in the mids like I'm, I'm not sure why you choose ravens i guess the whole bonuses i don't know ravens historically haven't been mm. good then you've got missile travel well, the, time. Uh... maybe your cavalry running with them with like the mjd for a double hit but that seems like you do it once you kill one thing and then you lose half your fleet you're still really really uh, still really a soft target for being bombed because you got so little hp your reps don't matter that much because you got so little isk i think that if you're going to do a big snipey doctrine like that you need the second doctrine on field engaging so i think that in the case of snipey battleships it's only really gonna work in one of the really 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 big fights yeah i mean We've uh, NT um, did a party out of oxygen. I think so. <laughs> NT <laughs> NT has has been fighting these for a, a couple of weeks, and I'm not going to lie, they have been so frustrating because they're so difficult to pin down. Who are we they, fighting? Who invented these? Uh, so it's the initiative that invented them. Um, McLeod did tell me which FC it was, um, but it was a guy that was pretty notorious within the initiative for coming up with some unique and interesting doctrines. Um, and he did the, they did the whole, hey, we got a surprise. Uh, we got something new to try out. And uh, oh, in, in you go, oh, look, there's uh, Ravens on contract. And everybody's like, what are these? What are these things? What is this fit? 
why are they armor? What is all the things in the mid slots? Um, and then he's just like basically reassuring everybody say, hey, no, it will all come clear when it comes to it. And of course, uh, typical thing, we've gone in, um, NC's gone in to uh, attack, defend towers. Um, and these things blink around the field using their MJD destroyers, um, land at 300 plus kilometers, and then shoot Fury cruise missiles um, while each one of them does about 600 DPS. Um, they melt um, faxes that aren't on the ball. If, if faxes aren't paying attention and they they haven't got a decent sort of fit on them um they melt very very quickly and they'll melt crew uh in fact one i think it was a nyx last night got into half armor um yesterday before we we could do anything about it, it they are quite scary and they are very very hard to pin down um but when you do pin them down whether by pipe bombing them with materials um or using um a, a long-range sniper doctrine encounter to them, um, they are quite fragile. So it's all about keeping that mobility, keeping moving, keeping moving, and that is their big strength. Um, so it's very, very interesting doctrine, and it's it's been really, really nice to see something beyond just the usual, you know, mercurial doctrines that we've all been seeing, and I'm quite pleased that, uh, that it's come out. Yeah. yeah, even though I just kind of chat on them a little bit. Like I said at the very beginning and I that I love them. I love them because they are a non-standard uh, fitting principle to design. Usually it's how much tank can you get, how much projection and application can you get, then how much DPS do you have. And, that's, and then you just sit shooting each other in each other's optimals and just kind of see how things go. This is a new engagement style. Well, not new. This is a different get engagement style fit for a specific purpose. And what happens is that you bring this out and then, you know, NC uh, counters with their own fit to counter this. And this is what I love to see where each side is theory crafting each other and pushing each other about. It is all very well having your, um, you know, alliance generic. This is what we brawl in. Good for multiple purpose. If you're on grid, this can fight most, thi most things kind of fit. But I love seeing groups just go for very specific kind of even if it's more gimmicky fits that do a specific thing even if it only wins them a couple fights and then they switch out to something else seeing that dynamic developing mm -hmm. gameplay for me is what i love about even whenever I used to do FCing, which I used to do a lot more than I do now. I always love flying off meta specific things that have a specific engagement style in mind because you always catch people by surprise and you'd always be able to achieve a lot more than flying what everyone else is flying. And they obviously then knew exactly how strong you were, exactly what your capabilities were, exactly how to counter you. Yeah, then it's a matter of like intelligence, right? You know what they're going to bring. And then so you you kind of have the hard counters already built in, which makes the game a lot more predictable. But leave it to Init, who's an unpredictable alliance, right? Like they uh, also execute the, uh, the, the, what's it called? The whoosh, the swoosh, the boosh. Snatch, snatch fleet. Snatch fleet. <laughs> With there the booshes, yeah. Basically, that means they use command destroyers to come and grab part of your uh, fleet and drag them away 100 kilometers. Uh, so uh, they yeah. execute that very well. Yeah, and, and both these fleet setups, whether it be Snatch Fleet or uh, Jumpy Jumpy Ravens, um, are designed to go up against an opponent um, where if you do try to brawl, you're probably not going to win. It's it's all about keeping mobile, moving around, keeping people off the toes, not keep getting pinned down. Um, and it works really well. And um, 
mean, I'm really glad to see uh, new doctrines coming out and trying things out because he, I saw them first and I was like, oh, Ravens, isn't that cute? Why are they blinking around all over the place? Why are they it's hitting us at 300 kilometers? <laughs> Why is that fax melting? <laughs> it, is said, it is said that wars are fought with the technology of the previous war. Um, and the, the, the honest truth is, is that the, the machines of war grind slowly. Um, because, uh, as I think Tiberius is pointing out, or maybe it was Pothney, you know, wars are, uh, conflict is very calculated, right? Like the, the, the doctrines that are used are generally, um, designed to work at scale, which is different than working in small scale. Uh, this is true in real life as, as it is in, in Eve. And so when a new technology like command destroyers come out, the smaller entities play with it experiment with it iterate with it because they have less to lose lose it's just like you know like uh in game development most of the revelations in game development now come comes from indie game development because they're more agile and they can iterate but over time those attempts and failures from the little guys start to trickle up and eventually it becomes core components as it becomes trusted and tested and understood and so now that command destroyers have been out for over a year year and a half we're starting to see them be more and more cornerstone to applications as as our as we as a collective have started to understand and really absorb this technology better yeah what's interesting to me is that it gives more players an opportunity to participate because again when you have the doctrines all set out it's really a matter of intelligence there's only you know, five to 10 people that are gathering intelligence and working with the intelligence. And then you just assemble the troops to kind of go and fight that battle. The guys have fought that battle over and over and over again. It's not that exciting for them, but to face new enemies or to be an, uh, the, the first to run a new idea, which is something the pro God legend did a lot early on. That's exciting for the players. Cause they're a part of something that's new and not tested. And they can see that, you know, when it pays off, it pays off big, uh, Sometimes it doesn't pay off, but it just needs to. I, I love blurring the lines of the decisions you make. Like as as Madal was saying, I think it was Madal that, or it might have been Ashtarothy actually. That um, but I'll take credit for it. Warfare is so calculated. You know, every you know, if we go back to the days of the Ishtar, which I of course love hating still, um, you know, everybody knew exactly what your optimal was, what your full off was, how much damage you do, exactly how many Ishtars you'd need to kill a specific thing, and it, it was just dull. Right? It was just incredibly dull for everyone you knew exactly what the fight was going to look like and how it's going to end before you got on grid whereas when you're bringing out new doctrines you're flying new stuff and when you add skill checks into the game and you add more variables to play around with you increase the blurriness as in in terms of what your decisions mean in terms of their outcomes. So if you imagine the the breadth of uh, decision-making being like this, sorry for people on video who can't see me, so like this is your variance of outcome for a certain decision. If you add new game mechanics and try and do new things that people haven't seen before, even if it's bad and you don't know that yet, your variance of possibility goes out to here. So if you fly well and you think well and you make good decisions, you're going to get a better result. However, if you cock up completely or you weren't thinking very well, it's going to go way worse than you expected. So flying the standard best logic is very, very safe. You have this small variance of performance, whereas new, weird, skill check, decision-making stuff broadens that. Too bad not everyone can see the video because uh, Apothne is using his hands and his mouse is pushing the button so he can talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did, did my mic cut out? I was trying to hold it and No, you did it. 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 You're, you're my hero. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Uh, all right. Um, so yeah, Jumpy Jumpy. Who who named him Jumpy Jumpy Ravens? Because that's hilarious. I, I just call him. Well, I just call him Jumpy Jumpy Ravens. I don't think that's actually the doctor name, but I just like calling them Jumpy Jumpy Ravens. It is now. I, I thought it was just a parody on Hungry Hungry Hippos. Well, it was kind of like on that vein. Tiberius but, yeah. doesn't respect the power that he has. <laughs> but I, um, no, it's it's been really good, and I really love it when um, people take take advantage of the sandbox and come up with an innovative ways to fight an opponent. And I'd, I'd just like to thank um, uh, Panda. I think it was the FC that was doing it now because the name's coming to head and he's talking in the chat. Um, thank you for allowing me to fly the rock. I thought it would be a ship I'd never, ever get to fly in a fleet combat ever. But last night I actually got to undock and say, you can't stop the rock. Tibbs, and you, there was a small part of me that made me really didn't happy. didn't fly when rocks were the yeah. doctrine? Nope. No. Nope. He came in after dust. But uh, yeah, how about dust. that? Sniper Raven, not Sniper Raven, Sniper Battleships uh, maybe coming coming back. Oh, it was glorious. Like yeah. everybody turned around and went like, oh, who, we need T2 rails for this. Who's got T2 rails trained? And I was like, I've got them trained. And it was like, we don't have them trained. Who has T2 rails <laughs> trained right. these days? Large rails. <laughs> what, the, what is this nonsense? So, yeah. Yeah. so I've got a question, actually. Um, with the increased uses of command destroyers and the use of snipey doctrines, um, are we also seeing a, a, an increased use of shields, a decreased use of missiles, and an increased use of the uh, defender missiles to protect against bombs? Not yet. Okay, so maybe that's the next step. It's evolving. All right, moving on real quick. Uh, we're running out of time here, but uh, we'll go a little over. This is fun. Um, Wingspan turns three years old. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. We should get him on the show at some point, uh, but uh, I was looking at the, the amount of views that they get over time, and it's you know he's just got such a – he's just well-marketed. Uh, I think he um, – I guess that would be doxing, so I won't say anything, but he has the skills to market well. Uh, he and I work in the same industry, and uh, uh, he does it very well in the game. So his his presentation is good, and so is the content and stuff. So it's really nice to see them last three years because usually that kind of peters out once somebody gets their fix of uh, you know attention or recognition. So good for mm -hmm. him for sticking around. Yeah, it's uh, good to see that. And I've never yet had a torpedo delivery from them, and I hope never have to receive an email saying I got a torpedo delivery. So we'll see. So that's uh, mostly wormhole dwellers, but yeah. Um, Lumpy lost a Titan. Did, anything about that interesting? I only uh, thought it was funny because of the way it was on Reddit. Because like literally, <laughs> post, hey Lumpy, your Titan's a little bit far from tether range, and then the next post underneath it was Lumpy loses a Titan. Yep, <laughs> it was it was quite funny because as I understand the story, uh, it was the Lumpy FC's Titan, and they he used it to bridge out a fleet, and he left it there and wasn't paying attention to it, and of course you know. Most people play with Eve with the sand off, so he didn't hear any alerts or alarms or anything like that. Um, PL saw it, uh, saw it was close to the range, bumped it off the Astra house, uh, dropped on it, exploded it, and Killer B then sent a message to the Lumpy FC saying sorry um, shortly after they blew it up, and then he tabbed back to have a look and see Titan was no longer, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, somebody's asking uh, Gonj there if Bomber Bar disbanded. Anybody know about that? Um, I still think no, they're still active. There was, there was a bit of a drama. The, yeah, there was um, uh, Nova Valenta still still does it. There was a bit of drama. Um, a few. Well, they lost. Back. Uh, 
they lost somebody uh, passed away in real life that was important to that organization. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so that that might have affected it, but I don't know. I don't think so, though. I don't think it is disbanded. No, I think they're just going through a little quiet phase. Um, but they're still, I still see them flying around, and I've still seen them flying around. Didn't that happen to RVB a while back? Like they declared them dead. Like this happens a lot to more public communities like MPSI and stuff like that. But hopefully another leader will, will pick up the reins in the mantle. Well, yeah, um, we don't know because, uh, but we do have an FC that hangs around TIS. You can ask him in public channel. I just put that inside of the chat. So invitation to TIS, Talking in Stations Discord, come in there in public and ask your questions and see if they get answered there. <laughs> right on. So... Now, this is important because I think this is where the next round of action is for NullSec, and that is Fountain. Uh, has the Curse of Fountain struck again? Has it claimed another alliance with uh, the culture leaving? Um, Fountain's one of those kind of weird, weird places in the universe where there is a lot going on, but nothing really seems to come out from it. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's no news that seems to come out from it unless you're plugged into those sort of things. But the culture um, is officially leaving Fountain, and uh, they're unanchoring their Keepstar. Ah, so they're making an evac. It looks like, um, aren't the goons kind of invading that, or at least skirmishing up there? Um, I think, yeah. I don't know. They seem to take an opportunity to try and get some, some nice kills, but um, the culture pushed back and, and stopped a, a bunch of timers that the goons created. Um, whether they'll try again, I don't know. Um, but... You know, they seem to be uh, slowly pulling out of that area um, for reasons we haven't quite established yet. So if you know. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've been hearing things around. Uh, I've been hearing things and the goons seem to be active. Maybe something happens there in the next, oh, uh, a couple weeks, maybe for you, Vegas. Uh, look out for Fountain. Uh, probably some activity going to happen there. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just uh, have heard some things. All right, uh, and they unanchored their Keepstar, which is a big deal. So they're moving on, it looks like. Mm -hmm. It uh, okay. comes out Monday evening, so that might be an interesting uh, event. Oh. Uh, funnily enough, um, the, the reason that everybody now knows that that was coming out on Monday evening uh, and the reason it was posted onto Reddit was because they told um, one of the Reddit moderators, uh, Chelvis, that his uh, post was shit. Uh, so he just simply responded in local, you're going to love my next post then. <laughs> what can go wrong when you unanchor a, a Keepstar? Um, some of them, well, essentially, when when you unanchor a Keepstar, it just um, turns back into the like the the module that you deploy, you de eject from your ship. So I don't know if somebody could actually kill it. They might. I think they might be able to shoot it, or somebody else could scoop it, or someone can destroy the hauler trying to take it away. Um, so because you need a you need a freighter to move these things around, you mm -hmm. can't just you can't just put them in like a regular hauler or anything like that. You need a freighter to move a Keepstar around. Can a jump so, freighter handle it? No, I don't think a jump freighter can. I don't think it's yeah. a regular freighter, so, so that is pretty dangerous. So you've yeah. got to be able to protect the uh, area while you extract. Yep. Yeah, it, it says that uh, decommissioning is a seven-day process. During the seven days of decommissioning, the structure will undergo its usual vulnerability hours. If the structure is successfully attacked during the vulnerability window, the decommissioning process will be canceled, and the structure will, be pro will process through its normal vulnerability cycle. Well, looks like that's an appointment uh, won't be missed by some people who want to kill it. 
Yeah, from the show info window, a keep star in a cargo hold has a volume of 800,000 cubic meters. Only freighters can handle that. Not yeah. days. Jump freighters end around 300,000. Uh, yeah, somewhere around that. Yeah. So that's interesting. That tells me that uh, maybe goons are going to attack it and destroy it. And that would fall in line with revenge, right? They're on this whole kick of revenge <clears throat> with CO2 getting dis dissolved. And now Fountain, who warred against them uh, during the Casino War, this could be another uh, brick in that wall. Here's the question. Just seeing the whole West being uh, kind of weakened, right, and opening up for Imperium activity. So there's definitely something happening, right? Here's my question. If you're goons and you're watching this thing on anchor, do you go and blow it up before it unanchors? Or do you try to to grab the 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 hauler that's taking it away for hope that the Keepstar drops and you can have it? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, actually. Uh, so we'll watch that, because something's going to happen. I don't think they're going to walk away without a fight, uh, personally. And the thing is that uh, Fountain is not that far from Syndicate. They're next door to one another. And uh, Syndicate is really kind of the territory right now of NC Dot fighting with Initiative and Snuff. So who knows, like, if those guys get involved as well, it could turn into a big fight. I think I told you that we could maybe expect a clusterfuck war somewhere around, well, now, more like two months down the line. It sure looks like it. I think uh, there's a lot of moving parts right now uh, in NullSec, Null Security Space. So. Uh, there could, there definitely could start to be a lot of, um, instead of major campaigns, a lot of heavy hitting uh, skirmishes. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Like I said, I, I suspect that you're going to see a lot of people um, be butt hurt right now because, like I said, there's a, as you said, there's a lot of movement and there's also a lot of prizes to be won. And more importantly, no one really knows where the valuable territory is going to be next month because along with the moon mining changes, they're also rebalancing all the moons. So nobody really knows where the winning space is going to be right now. So what you're seeing, in my opinion, is a lot of jockeying for position, a lot of, a lot of uh, excuses to maneuver to get in the position to be able to do what you need to do. If you're if if you have forward thinking leadership, you're going to see people kind of pick fights that they don't necessarily want, but allows them to make a maneuver that they want to make, like false flag operations. Well, that's why I was saying the people who are covering more territory have the advantage because they can say, okay, well, that's the you know of our all all our territory, that's the uh, rich part, so we're just going to consolidate around that. Um, so it, the more territory you have at that point, the better odds you have of deciding what you want to protect because you're probably going to be the first to know what's there, I imagine. But and then we've even yeah. left out the whole trophy war thing, right? Which is most likely going to be very interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's still it's funny the trophy war theoretically seems and the trophy war is basically when the stations convert they're going to be extremely valuable and you can pick them up and move them so people may conquer a bunch of stations before that day actually happens then when it switches over they have valuable stations to roll up and take and put wherever they want or keep them in place so that's the trophy war and if and the funny thing about it is it theoretically seems like a land rush like you know a big deal but from the fcs that i've talked to they seem to be playing it down saying we don't know if it's going to be worth it because we don't know the statistics of how valuable those stations are going to be so how much should we mobilize depends on how how expensive those stations could be i 
I'm going to just call BS on that. And I, I could be wrong, but we know they're going to be faction Fortizars. We know they're going to be one at a kind. We know that they're going to have the rigs with the bonuses on it. Again, I personally believe that if I was a powerful entity, I would A, be maneuvering to be able to capitalize on this and whatever I can, and B, be publicly saying that it's no big deal for hope that other people aren't doing the same. I think we're seeing a lot of game theory right now, where yeah, people that are saying what, the people that are saying things about what they're doing may not necessarily ha- be, be being honest because they want us to think that they're doing something. But the cost-benefit calculation is pretty much impossible right now because there's so many unknowns, right? Like the ones you just pointed out earlier, with what is distribution of space going to be? How much importance is it going to be that it moves into labor instead of uh, AFK? Uh, so mm-hmm. it's totally open. You have the geographical thing. You have the uh, organizational power vacuum. Uh, you have the, the, the whole thing that the goons can now potentially come out of uh, their slumber. It's it's drama all over the place. It's, it's just, where is it going to kick off? Are we going to see that one shot that's setting everything off in Provi, uh, equivalent to uh, in Sarajevo? I don't know, but I think something is going to happen. And there's always one thing that um, we everybody needs to consider when it comes to these structures is, is that the base faction, the base structure itself will be the faction Citadel. It will get some bonuses above a regular Citadel. But if you leave them in place, um, those citadels will have their faction rigs on them, which will give them even bigger bonus. So it's going to be a decision that's made at the time on how valuable will these things be unanchored versus how valuable will, we, will they be to keep them there uh, versus like, do you want to risk losing them? Can you defend them? Can you uh, like look after them if you if you have them in your space? So. Yeah, there's so many unknowns about what's going to happen with that, but something is definitely going to be happening. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are huge that are on the way, and they're hard to predict what's going to happen. So we'll leave that there. Uh, Okay, real quick, uh, a couple more things, and then I actually may do an encore of uh, the stuff, since we have Ashtarathi here, might give him a chance to kind of give us his thoughts on PvE and the future. But that'll be after this. Uh, Next up is Andrew Groen has a new podcast. He was a guest here a couple weeks back. You might remember, great show. Uh, And he does a lot of historical stuff and deep historical stuff from 2003 to 2006 uh, era. And uh, so look out for that podcast called uh, Empires of Eve, same as his book that he wrote, which is a history book on player uh, wars. It's so good. I, I don't necessarily want to like waste a whole bunch of time, but that like Andrew Grown is fantastic and his podcast is amazing. Yeah, the audio book, if you want a longer version of it, is uh, is available through uh, Amazon, and uh, you should check that out. It's a, he's a good presenter, and so uh, not only a good writer but a good presenter, and so you can listen in. Uh, I think it's about a seven hour listen, and it's it's great. Okay, um, the wormhole. Who's is this? This is uh, you, Tiberius. Oh, yeah. A um, uh, little public service announcement. Um, CCP has not fixed the deep space transport over tank effect in wormholes. Um, so don't do it. <laughs> Which is essentially uh, some wormholes have uh, bonuses to tanking. And if you've dead space fit, in this particular instance, it was um, a Galente deep space transport with uh, Pith X type hardness on it. Um, with the wormhole effects, it actually put the resistances above 100%, which put the armor value into a negative amount. Uh, so when it got shot into armor, it, all it took was one point of damage to implode the thing instantly. So uh, I thought they fixed this like 
two years ago, uh, but apparently they have not. Um, and the, the response from CCP Fozzie at the time was, uh, we trust that wormhole dwellers are smart enough to know what they're doing. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, say what the out-of-game events are, and then maybe we'll do a little encore for Ashtarothi. Absolutely. So um, coming up over the next uh, few weeks, uh, OmegaCon is in Charlottesville in the United States uh, at the uh, IX Art Park on the 29th of September. Uh, in, and uh, there's a little gathering there for uh, EVE players as well. Uh, they're all getting together, so make sure you check that out. Um, there's the Houston Monthly EVE meetup at the King's Head Pub on the 30th of September uh, at their normal place. Uh, EVE Vegas is on the 6th of October, but if you didn't know about this event already and you haven't bought your ticket, then it's too late. It's all sold out, um, apparently to the tune of about 1,200 tickets, which is enormous. Um, it makes it on par with uh, FanFest as far as size goes um, as an event, so that's that's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, GFLE is uh, Germany's largest EVE meet. It's being held between the 13th of October uh, and the 15th of October in Dusseldorf, Germany. Uh, oh, tickets yeah. are available for uh, 58 euros. So if you're in that area, go check that out. Uh, and then uh, in EVE Dublin um, is on the 20th of October. Um, tickets are selling for that for 20 euros. Um, and you can make sure you go and check that one out. That's uh, 20th of October. So go to evemeet.net. Uh, it's on the screen at the moment. Go check out these events. and. Um, uh, go and find out your info there. And if you've got an event that you're running, make sure you put it on there too, because uh, it's pretty good too. I have an event. Talking Stations is going to be at Eve Vegas. You're going to have Dirk McGurk there, Carneros, uh, myself, and uh, others. Unfortunately, some of our European friends can't be there, like Tiberius and Caleb. No, don't um, remind me. So we're going to, sorry, we're going to have a breakfast. Uh, and it's going to be Friday morning. 9 a.m. show up at 8.30 so we can all sit together. Otherwise, you're going to wait in line behind the rest of the public and sit separately. So that's, again, Friday, 9 a.m., uh, show up at 8.30. And that is at the Hash House, which you will find because it's right next to the link, uh, which is the hotel where the convention is staying. Again, that's Talking in Stations Breakfast Meetup. Uh, let's hang around and uh, talk and have breakfast at the same time. And this is all before registration starts, so... Uh, I think it's kind of a good uh, lead-in, if you can wake up that early, hopefully. Matterall, just give them the time when they should show up. Just say 8.30. Don't give them any other times. It's going to confuse people. <laughs> just say 8.30 a.m. That's it. Done. You're right. I won't even tell you the duration, because we'll be there for a couple hours. But uh, show up at 8.30. I know. I snuck it in there. 8.30, 8.30 a.m. Uh, at the Hash House on Friday. Now, That's just to stress that point, you need to get there early because if you don't get there on time, they're just going to shove you somewhere else. Uh, they could only accommodate a large group um, if you manage to get there early. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to sit near us, but it, it's fine. We'll you know we'll mill around after that, and we'll be around you registration. You can go the rest of your life and tell the story Bad about the time close to talking in stations. Yeah, Batterall <laughs> and company will wave at you from across the restaurant. That's or right. Or they give you a snide look and say, you're not sitting at this table, who are you? I like what Ashtarathi said. They'll, uh, you can tell your grandkids the time that you came close to talking in stations. Perfect. All right, um, that is the end of the show, but we are going to stop and do a little encore because um, Ashtarathi is somebody who pays attention to a lot of things, including PVE and lore and stuff like that. So I do want to get his thoughts on the agency. What do you think? Yeah. Um, by the way, my, my son just came and sat on my lap, so this could go any direction. 
so the agency is really interesting. I've been watching it for the last year or so, um, actually more than a year, because it started with the Shadow of the Serpent event. Um, but now it seems in the latest iteration to be kind of going somewhere different. Because we have the actual live events, which are structured roughly two-week events, in which case you have to do dailies for roughly seven days of that time um, in order to... Hold on a second. <laughs> I heard that music. Mm -hmm. That's definitely Sesame Street style stuff. Right? <laughs> well, he has a little pen. Anyway, um, so uh, basically there's the live events, which are short-form uh, objective-based things. But then we have the new agency interface, which we see on Singularity, which I don't know if you've talked about, which is basically about finding content for people to do. Um, did you guys make that distinction? Or are we just talking about the live event? Uh, I'm sorry, repeat your question. <laughs> okay, so there's two different there's no agency, there's two different kind of styles of agency now. Um, because there's the live events, which are two-week uh, events that... Um, that you know if you do dailies for seven days out of those week you get some sort of prize blah 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 which is the agency that we've been seeing for the last year however on singularity we now see a new agency which is basically a content um connection system where it's like these are the different mining sites that are going on these are the different incursions that are going on these are the different resource wars that are going on um and i believe that that's going to be constant that's going to be not a every once in a while thing but a, you know, hey, new guy, you don't know what to do. Here's cool stuff to do. And it shows you the map and it shows all of the different stuff that's going on nearby you or even not even nearby you, um, which is which boils down to what Ghost has been talking about for over a year, which is that phase two of uh, of the MPE, which is basically trying to help link people to content. So um, I think we're going to see kind of a combination of those two of the live events and also just kind of general events that are going on. And uh, what we're seeing is uh, a, a big shift in EVE away from the content dictating what you're doing and more you dictating the content. And this goes back to what I was talking about with the mining fleets, because in mining fleet with the mining uh, changes, with the moon mining changes, you can schedule when the event happens, right? So we can have a mining night. Um, and, and we, can, we can make sure that that happens. With all these things happening in space, with all these changes to the MPE happening, you're going to get that in general, right? So it's going to be like, oh, well, what do we want to do tonight? Well, we want to run ext extraction sites. Or, hey, guys, I found a fob. Let's go run that. Like, there's going to be all different kinds of PVE activities for people to kind of rally behind and do. And then the agency is going to help kind of bridge that gap to, to make it so that people can find content. Um, and that seems to be the overall goal, which I think is actually really important considering how much recruitment is going to be essential uh, with the moon mining changes. Wasn't there a, a component of it where you could meet new people? Like that was uh, something that was in the minutes maybe that they try to make some like, So So if you think about it, the extraction oh. sites, for example, um, are cooperative, right? So like you could go there and somebody else would already be there. And if they happen to be mining, you could actually just mine it to help it finish faster. You both get rewards. Or uh, maybe if they're mining, you could fight or if you're, if you're uh, vice versa, because remember, it has combat and mining opportunities in each one of these sites. So what I think that they're doing is kind of what we saw in the Shadow of the Serpent, where it's not like... It's, it's not necessarily like you have to go find your buddies in order to go do it. 
But what'll happen is because you are going to encounter people that behooves you to work well with, um, hopefully that emergent behavior will come out of that. And, and some people will get along and you'll see new structures come from that. I think that's a big part of this that we didn't cover at the beginning of the show is how you would meet new people and how you could form better social bonds. You know, like sometimes you get into a corp and you're like, well, I'll do my best to fit in, but they're not really your people, right? They have a different tone or different, uh, you know, style. And it's kind of hard to uh, say, look, I don't like you guys. I'm going to go and find something better. So it's it's not something that happens that often. People just kind of put up with bad corpse uh, or corpse that don't fit them for a while. So maybe this is a way of having a, a, a chance to kind of mix better. That is specific to the resource wars, though. I'm not sure if that expands to all the other things, but could be interesting in the future to have the session finder also help with that. Something like an open fleet thingy to find. Yeah. I mean, that's what those third party, those purple fleets are all about, right? People coming from wherever they belong to as a corporation to join into a fleet and kind of go and have an adventure together. It's a very miscellaneous kind of like activity. Uh, but if, if there was some, if there was some way to kind of have that constantly without it being just a fleet, uh, I think that might be interesting. Well, if, if they manage to somehow make standings meaningful and actually be balanced right and the whole crime watch thing gets some sort of overhaul or integrated into the new AI, potentially you could get something similar to a PvP-centric uh, sorry, uh, yeah, a PvP-centric version of what you see in games like Guild Wars where you have casual uh, uh, meeting up and, and, and taking down uh, PvE content, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's, that's kind of what they're going for with, for instance, the fobs. The fobs really scream looking for three more Blood Raider fob in Jita or something like that to try to find a group to go do What's stuff. What's a fob? Uh, so one of the new things that they're introducing is pirate forward operating bases, which are basically like mini, you know those, uh, the Asbel, uh, the Blood Sotios? Raider Asbel, or Sotios that we have? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a scaled down version of that. So they're going to have little outposts in high sec that can be hunted down and attacked. So that's where I'm going to see like the new quote unquote raid content to be coming from. Whereas, nice. um, the, uh, the, the resource wars is more the dungeon slash solo content. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. I don't think we covered the uh, forward operating bases of pirates. Well, they've been really candid about it. We haven't gotten like an official dev blog. So a lot of my assumptions about it are exactly that, but, um, it seems to be that they're, I mean, it's based around a structure, um, and it just, it feels like it's the next advancement of the, so, of the Sodios. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a bit uh, of information in the, uh, CSM uh, minutes. Um, it's pretty much what you said. It will be yeah. So I think that one of the biggest problems is that while we're talking about all these different things, a lot of times that we as, um, as podcasters or just as a community discuss each piece individually. And what I've been tr trying to get people to think about is what this is going to look like when it's all together, right? Because all these things are going to be happening all at the same time. And the God honest truth is that there's just going to be a lot of interesting, potentially interesting content going on, um, both PVE and PVP. Um, and so what I hope to see is that we're going to see the rise of better PVE organizations. We see really good PVP organizations because, um, of the necessity mm. of that, right? Like the threat of the outside makes it so that people team up better. 
Um, but PVE in EVE is generally speaking distilled down to this solo activity. Um, even the things that are cooperative kind of try to get distilled down um, because uh, trusting other people and working, coordinating with other people uh, when it comes to PVE is often a risk that isn't necessary. So if they rethink it with that design goal in mind, I think that we could get uh, a much better cohesion to EVE. And to people that think that it's a waste of time, the whole point of it is, is that these PVEers will eventually be PVPers, right? You got to give people time to feel comfortable with it. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the big uh, keys to agency, a lot of people were, uh, or some people have asked me about the agency thing, like, why are we telling people what to go do? How fundamentally not EVE is that, right? Um, but the key to it is, is that, um, this is something I said on Hydrag, uh, the, the skills that you need to learn in EVE is more than just how to pilot your ship. The actual education of how to make proper decisions, how to learn things, and how to manage your risk in EVE is a real lesson. And it's a lesson that we do that we do as experienced players seem to not respect very much, because what I find is uh, most new players that quit end up quitting not because they don't understand how to fly their ship, but they don't understand how to make decisions in this game, how to decide what to do next. And the simple statement of you can do anything doesn't really work well. And that's why I think that the alpha program has actually been more successful with new people than a lot of the older people expected. Because when, uh, when we see, oh, we're going to be restricted by race, people see that as being taken away. Whereas new people, a lot of new people have embraced it as seeing direction, right? Like, oh yeah, I want to be Glente, and that helps me decide what ships I fly. Um, in the same way, this new agency program is helping people with that process of finding out what they want to do, right? It's like, oh, well, what is there to do? Mining, okay, let me go do that. Oh, that sucked. I don't want to do that. Now I've practiced making decisions. I'm now doing something, not, and the next time I do it, I'm going to do it because I wanted to do it. I'm going to do it a little bit better. I'm going to iterate on it. The whole point of it is, is that we need to get out, people out there and doing things so that way they can, you know, decide what they want to do. Whereas in the current EVE, people don't really know where to go after, say, the, tutor uh, the uh, training missions. I think when it comes to uh, the grand perspective, it feels to me as if CCP are slowly figuring out how to make maybe the new AI and standing system and, and agency and all that stuff pretty much reinvigorate things like uh, LOSEC on the long term uh, and make that a totally new thing, just like they've pretty much made uh, Aegisov or Fossisov uh, a thing of the past with, uh, with upwell structures, right? It's just a matter of when is this going to hit and actually make that impact that they seem to have planned. Yeah, I, well, I, I would uh, discourage people from thinking about this moving to other periods of parts of space. Now, obviously, it will eventually, but uh, like the idea that it's just going to translate straight across is probably um, misguided simply because um, HiSec has a totally different design goal than LowSec or NullSec. The whole point of, uh, especially NullSec, is is player engineered mechanics so the idea of having like an emergent style thing and saying that they're, they're, the sodios exist so i guess you you're going to see like high, maybe higher tier like things that require organization in nullsec whereas uh in high sec you're going to see things that replace organization so that mm -hmm. that way people can still do things without that organization and then when they're ready to do it fully themselves and they'll move into 
more organized structures like LOSEC and NULSEC and, and then proceed to do it, do the right. more advanced stuff there. We are going to continue this offline uh, in the Discord uh, for Talking In Stations in the public voice channel. Uh, the guys will be in there after the show and we'll have this discussion there. You can always join us uh, seven days a week on Discord where people are usually talking about stuff like this. But uh, I'm going to wrap up the show. Uh, Yuki, is there something else you want to say? No, not really. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the PV experience and, and the new features coming. Um, I guess we can continue in public. It would take too long, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ashtarathi, thanks so much for coming. Uh, uh, wish we could have planned it better to have you at the beginning of the show when we were discussing the topic, but I love the idea of uh, listening to your thoughts on things. So I'm glad that we got this little encore in. Thanks, everybody, for watching today. Uh, that's going to be all that we have this week. We will see you next week on Talking in Stations.